0: action fans and thanks for joining us for this somewhat impromptu episode of all 90s action all the time impromptu you see i saw your thing on twitter i saw you tweet out about this episode of course you were going to cover batman forever in your val kilmer season yes you would be correct listener Of course we were going to cover Batman Forever in our Val Kilmer season. It was basically the jewel of our season. It's basically the the reason this season was created. However, it is impromptu because this is our second recording of this episode. I should mention, I'm your host Scott Murphy. And I was moving from Scotland to New Zealand. So all of the Val Kilmer season uh, was recorded in August before I moved here to New Zealand in September. However, part of the audio of that episode was lost. Um, So we are now in November and we have to re-record the Batman Forever episode. Unfortunately, not all the participants of the original recording could make this episode. No, my co-host Craig Draheim who was in the original recording and, and maybe one day I'll just put out the audio of the opening 40 minutes and closing 40 minutes of that episode with the missing half an hour just uh, like uh, maybe I'll put it up and um, you can you can listen to what remains of that episode um particularly if we set up a patreon you know like um, if you, people are into that um, but he couldn't make it for the re-record. However, our special guest on that episode, Mr. Caleb Knutson he is back back for Batman Forever 2 again electric boogaloo all that stuff
1: hey Caleb hey uh, we never actually met but your name was on the hiring slip I have it and yes I did use the same intro for the original recording for this one because I love that quote from this movie so much
0: I'm sure we'll we'll reuse I think, um, I'm, other jokes. Um, that I'm, we... Yeah, I'm pretty sure
1: Craig is actually off, like tailoring my new uh, Robin armored suit. So that's why he didn't. He's not here today.
0: That that that's true. That's true. He, he's busy tinkering away with that. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. For Chris, for Christmas. Um, I think that's going to be your Christmas from Craig. Yeah,
1: it's so that I can get my armored butt shot in while getting dressed for this ah! podcast. Ah!
0: Ah <laughs> oh, dear. Oh man. Oh, please let that happen on your YouTube. <laughs> oh. oh yes. Um so uh, as I said, we are here to talk about Batman Forever. So um as always in the podcast, I give a little some stats on, on the movie, you know, when the the what's and wherefores of, of the film. So Batman Forever was released on June the 16th, 1995. It was directed by Joel Schumacher, who also directed such cult hits as Lost Boys and Falling Down, and would also go on to direct uh, Batman and Robin. Um, It was written by Akiva Goldsman, who had previously worked with Schumacher on The Client, and would go on to win an Oscar uh, for A Beautiful Mind, uh, somewhat bafflingly. Um, it was also written by Lee and Janet Scott Batchelor, who don't have that many kind of big movie credits, but um, their only real other big movie credit is the Paul W.S. Anderson film, Pompeii. Um, critically, Batman Forever is currently sitting at a 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb, uh, 38% on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 68 reviews. 51 on Metacritic based on 23 reviews which I think more kind of properly um, gives a, an idea of the kind of mixed reviews it received at the time it, it wasn't like a wholly negative response um, and it has a 2.4 on Letterbox. so um, even if you are repeating from the original recording tell us a little bit about your relationship with the movie batman forever
1: well batman uh forever is really my first real experience in realizing that the movie theater is one awesome place to go to be entertained and to just look forward to going to i had previously gone to see probably like a couple of disney movies like aladdin and and lion king before this Uh, But I remember in 1995, uh, looking at all of the promotion and like reading news articles and hearing about, you know, Robin's going to be in the movie. And and Robin was so important to me. I just love Robin. Uh, But yeah, going to the theater, this was the first movie that made me realize, oh, my God, movie theater is awesome. And going to go see movies is a great thing to do. So the reason why I have this YouTube channel, the reason why I'm here talking with you is really because of this movie.
0: Wow. Um, So it really is a kind of pivotal film in in your life.
1: I mean, and also, I'm not going to go into my history with Batman because that just take up, you know, five hours. But Batman is my my favorite character in all of literature and, and film. So there's that too. But yeah, this was the movie that started the whole loving of movies sweet
0: that's that's real cool and yes um I think um, generally I mean obviously we're gonna be talking about Batman and often when you talk about Batman you end up talking about other films or other media um, with with Batman whether it be the comics or the cartoons or uh, whatever it may be so we might touch on some of that but like um, we will try to refrain uh, from touching too much on that um because batman is also my favorite comic book character um has been since since i was a kid i've read several batman uh comics graphic novels um was a big fan of batman the animated series and the movies and uh, so yes that episode would be like seven hours long and i think people might get exhausted with them <laughs> oh yes <laughs> Oh yes, and
1: plus, and plus, everything over at DC Comics is all just surrounded by Batman. They should just call it Batman Comics. So every, I don't know, one person that does not like Batman. So, yeah. Well, and of course, now that I've said that, you will get comments yeah, I don't on, like- those <laughs> and on this podcast. I'm like, I don't like Batman. <laughs> hey, did you hear? Hey guys, I don't like Batman. Did you see my comment?
0: yeah no there'll be there'll be people there'll be people there'll yes, be, there there be. be people who are like purely marvel people whereas like batman sucks i'm all about spider-man you know, yeah like,
1: i like, i only like marvel i will <laughs> i will cut off that whole other comic book side because i'm only marvel and the same thing the other way i i only do dc it doesn't I, make it yeah, yeah we could yeah, do yeah. it all
0: yeah yeah I i know it's it's weird it's like um, I'm I'm such a '90s kid, but I'm I'm like you know it's it's like it's like you know you know you can listen to Nirvana and Pearl Jam or Oasis and Blur. You know it's it's fine. It's fine. You don't. It's it doesn't have to be. Not everything has to be a war. It doesn't.
1: It... It doesn't it? Doesn't have to be black and white. It's all <laughs> out there equally for everyone to consume, the same way. I mean, here here's our wrestling reference. If you're in the '90s, yeah. WCW and WWE uh, WWF at the time. So there there you go. You could watch them both. Well, I guess technically no, because they were you both on Monday both. night you at could, the same you time. Could
0: watch them on alternate uh, alternate on movies. commercial if breaks. You, yes, if, yeah. If, if you if you wanted to, you, one week you could watch Raw, and the next week you could watch Nitro. This
1: is very yeah. '90s, oh, very there weeks,
0: you go. It's like not, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah very much not everybody you know like um you don't have to you don't have to choose you know you could you could i mean at the time you could have watched ecw as well and it's and that's that's fine it's okay
1: Um. (laughs) until they align together to try to take down vince mcmahon right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Boy, we're, we're we're getting really off topic here this is bad we, we're, we're getting <laughs> bad
0: we're getting mad off topic <laughs> it's, it's yes. like, um but um but yeah I mean like now I mean now don't don't bother with wwe you know like you know after that Saudi Arabia deal you know whatever don't bother don't bother with them they're it's going downhill anyway just watch eew it's it's like it's that's much better to be honest
1: um <laughs> plus no one you're like no one works for ww anymore everyone's getting fired I, that, that but that's the true. last that's they're it. either they're <laughs>
0: either jumping ship to AEW or they're just getting fired um yeah. it's it's a mad time in wrestling uh, but this is not a wrestling podcast we're, we're not I'm sorry
1: we got we went down the wrong way but batman forever uh one of my <laughs> one of my favorite movies actually and uh, i know that this uh, movie especially with its connection to batman and robin tends to have not the the best uh, uh overall consensus of it being good but I, I god this is when we go to the the 90s batman including uh batman 89 with that this is my favorite uh, out of out of all four of them uh cuz i just I, I loved everything the aesthetic about it and all of that what what about uh, what about you scott
0: i'm not sure i would say it's my favorite out of the four of them um mm-hmm but it, it is a curious for a curious film uh, in terms of i suppose it's the first batman i remember coming out of the cinema now mm-hmm. so it came out in 95 um so mm-hmm. i would be not quite 10 when it came out so i'm kind of i was yeah i was slightly too young to remember it's weird because, like, um, I don't really remember like Batman Returns coming out of the cinema. I remember like Batman Returns when it came out on video, because um, right. obviously, you know, like particularly in that time, um, things, you know, I mean, people will their minds will be blown by this, but um, back when I was a kid, um, video uh, VHS, which is uh, a technology some people might not be aware of. Um, <laughs> they basically came out like a year after the movie. It wasn't like now where, you know, the, the, you know, it gets released on streaming or Blu-ray like four months after the films in cinemas or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so I remember it being in the video store, but I don't remember it coming out at the cinema. So, cause like 92, what would that be in 92? It'd probably come out in summer, I guess um so i i wouldn't be quite seven i would you knew so i don't remember that so this is the first one i remember like properly being like aware of um mm-hmm. like the the big marketing drive of being at the cinema and stuff like that which yeah. So, so, yeah, kind of makes it uh like a like a, a the 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 first batman like yeah i'm i'm aware of coming coming out on the big screen so like that i had anticipation for because by that stage i'd already seen um, like the original and like the animated series. So I like it's the first Batman I remember being like excited for. Um, and also like I was a big Jim Carrey fan because like, you know, mm. I'd seen like Ace Ventura and I'd seen um, yep. like uh, the mask as well. I love the mask. So I was all over this movie. I was like, yes, <laughs> I was excited for it, and it lived up to my expectation at the time. Like it, it, as a kid, I totally loved this movie. Um, I did not see the flaws in the same ways I would come to see it in my in my teenage years or or now. Um, so so this yeah this this was a uh, this was a big film for me and and my Batman fandom um, as well. Uh, yeah 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 for sure. <laughs>
1: And uh, that's probably a, a big push because this was Warner Brothers kind of makeup for Batman Returns. Batman Returns came out and it was popular, but the uh, parents did not like it for their young kids uh, because of all of the kind of dark imagery. Uh, in some scenes, there were flat out gore uh, and, you know, they would. Uh, protests by the Batman toys for McDonald's and the happy meals and yeah. uh, advertising for that. So that's kind of why this movie kind of shifted a little bit. And they were like, Hey, you know, Tim, Tim Burton, you, you, you don't want to direct another Batman movie. Let's, you know, you don't want, you don't want to do something else. So let's get yeah. this other guy Schumacher and to make it a little bit more colorful, a little bit more kid friendly So that we could start marketing with mcdonald's and start marketing toys and advertisements so yeah it's a
0: very curious like i think um you know i I suppose i'm biased you know i i I grew up at the time but i do think it's a curious time in pop culture like that time uh, the early 90s into the mid 90s because the in the kind of late 80s and very early 90s there was a brief period where things were really quite violent and, <laughs> <laughs> yes, there were. and also you had a lot of like kids cartoons that were connected to very adult franchises so you had like a conan cartoon and a toxic avenger cartoon and yep. a robocop cartoon and all these kind mm-hmm. of things and then kids would be like, Oh, I love this cartoon. I wonder what else is connected to it. Oh, Robocop. <laughs> I want to watch Robocop. And yeah. and and then parents being like, Holy shit, actually what are my what are my kids watching? And then there being a big pushback against that. And then like as you get into the kind of into the mid nineties, uh like the yeah as you get further into the 90s things become kind of super kid friendly like uh, companies go right against that and it's like things get really watered down uh, compared to what they were in the 80s and very early 90s
1: (laughs) i I remember uh, one one more kind of not really off topic but one example of that was if you watch the original 1990s teenage mutant ninja turtles film those turtles are using their weapons the entire time. But then as you're talking about with parents kind of looking at all this violence that these kids are watching, you know, power Rangers is coming out and all that stuff, you know, everything's so violent that when the second uh, Ninja turtles movie came out, the secret of the Ur- ooze, those turtles never use their weapons. The only one that ever does is Don Otello with his little staff bow thing. But That's Leonardo strange. never uses his swords. rap never uses his size. And Michelangelo never uses his nunchucks. I think he has, like, uh, hot dogs on strings or whatever.
0: He does. He, he yeah. He, he, it's, it's, it's like a, a kind of, yeah, yeah, like a roll of sausages um, mm-hmm. in the second one. Yeah, that was, like, a big thing in the UK as well. Like, particularly in the nunchucks, people seem to be, like, I remember as a kid, like, you know, it was like, uh, you know, like, Nunchucks. Let's. I can't remember if that's when nunchucks became became illegal, but like, uh, but Legal. it was like a oh. huge. It was a big thing in the in the UK as well. Where, where wow, like... <laughs> you
1: guys are putting on laws of nunchucks, and we still have gun problems over here. <laughs> wow, you have laws on nunchucks. <laughs> and wow not to get political over here but joe schmo (laughs) who had like a a 16 on his iq test can go to walmart buy a nine millimeter awesome i love this country (laughs)
0: okay yeah yeah i just remember like nunchucks being in the in the paper i can't remember if they were actually made illegal in the uk but like um i just remember it being like in the papers it was like this real kind of moral scare of like you know there's going to be kids in the streets marauding the streets with nunchucks and we need to get nunchucks away from our children
1: (laughs) and really when you looked at it it was like if they're going to be you know beating up anyone it's going to be themselves from trying to learn how to use it
0: yeah it'd just be like a lot of broken noses yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) but all of that all of that is kind of all part of how what what made Batman Forever kind of popular was the uh, taking away the darkness that Tim Burton kind of put to Batman or went like extreme with in Batman Returns and Schumacher lightened it up here with a bunch of neon lights and uh, colorful villains so this one was definitely more marketable
0: for sure although um, so we'll actually get into the movie now listener um, you'd be surprised to learn. Um, I'm sure we'll venture back into Tangent Corner um, at, at some point, but like we'll actually get into the meat in the movie. However, you say that uh, the movie does have something of a kind of schizophrenic tone throughout, and the very mm-hmm. opening scene after the flashy 3D credits um, really kind of gets to the heart of that because mm-hmm. you have this scene of Val Kilmer very moodily and very in a very badass way suiting up as Batman. And then we cut to um, him going to the car and Alfred being like, um, would you like a, a sandwich with that, sir? And him saying, no, I'll get drive um, <laughs> And then, So, like, at the, yeah, at the exact same time as it's been kind of, like, moody and broody. And then it just finishes on a gag and and that kind of happens throughout the movie of just being like we're colorful and we're wacky and also we're deep and dark and psychological and we're not and and i remember
1: (laughs) i remember seeing that scene in the theater and kind of even back then kind of tilting my head going like oh that's weird for batman to say because i remember seeing that part in mcdonald's commercials like they were selling actually i'm drinking out of my robin mcdonald's uh cup from batman forever right now but they were selling you know happy meals in these cups and i remember that part of michael goff's alfred saying "Can i persuade you to take a sandwich with you sir and seeing that in the movie, I was like, "Oh, okay, cool, interesting." <laughs> and I, I uh, what, what do you think of uh, of Michael Goff as as Alfred, kind of just in general? I I had recently watched Batman and Robin, uh, just kind of thinking about him, like God, he was the Alfred that I grew up with, and you know i like michael Kane and i'm sure andy circus is going to be great in the batman next year but sure. michael goff is always going to be that alfred for me
0: michael goff yeah this is an interesting thing like you know if you if you put a gun to my head and said like what's your favorite batman movie i'd say like the dark knight is definitely the dark knight um yeah. but like if you did the same thing and said what's your favorite alfred yeah like Alfred, like michael goff like made such an impression on me as a kid yeah that Like, he'll always be Alfred to me. And, like, that kind of very dry, very kind of deadpan kind of... Because he does that throughout, you know, even the the quote-unquote darker Barton ones. He is quite quippy, and he's quite... um, He has, like, this kind of dry, laconic sense of humour. And um, he has this kind of... Yeah, he has this kind of, like, kind of eye-roll type thing to him where he's this kind of, like, yeah, whatever. I, like he just—I don't know. Yeah, he just—you uh, know—having seen like um, Michael Caine's Alfred and Jeremy Irons' Alfred, and you know, like I'm sure Andy Circus will, like you say, would be great. You know, because I like all three of those actors, and I—I like—I like them. At you know, like I like two of those ones as Alfred. Um, I've not obviously seen Andy Circus as Alfred yet. Uh, of course. But um, yeah. But I it just think it always he just really took the role and um made it his own and i don't think i'll ever really see anybody else as alfred even like yeah uh even because i'd seen the 60s batman as well and mm. yeah I, I yeah he'll always be alfred to me
1: <laughs> i i liked this version of, of alfred because he was he was always fully behind the batman project like mm. there was never a moment where he was like nope the uh, like what are you doing which is You know, you get great scenes like in The Dark Knight or Batman Begins or how even with uh, Jeremy Irons and Batman v Superman of him being like, oh, well, you're kind of overstepping your bounds or you're kind of going too far or you need to take a rest. Michael Goff in all four of these movies is kind of always there being like you know you we're behind this project here this is this batman thing is a good thing for you
0: yeah i think like kind of comparing and contrasting there's like um it's a different relationship i think like um jeremy irons and michael keane are almost like a stern father trying to point their son in the right direction whereas Mm -hmm. michael goff is a kind of kindly grandfather who kind of ruffles his hair and then goes you little scamp here's a sandwich you know like (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a different relationship
1: yeah kind of just like that yeah that grandpa who's always like yeah let's let's do this thing behind your dad's back exactly (laughs) because your father won't allow it but i will yeah i like that yeah, but um, uh, but yeah, so Batman gets his sandwich and he's going off to the Bank of Gotham or Gotham Bank because it's the second anniversary of the second time Batman captured the villainous Two Face, played by uh, played by Tommy Lee Jones of of uh, the fugitive uh, fame at this time, I guess.
0: Yeah, like <laughs> I can't remember if he won the Oscar, but he certainly. Like nominated and like yeah this is when kind of tommy lee jones was like a big deal like because obviously he'd been acting for a long time but i think the fugitive was like his real kind of major like oh tommy lee jones is in like the big leagues and then obviously this film and then men in black really cemented that of like him kind of being no. kind of more a-list <laughs>
1: Yeah. And uh, you'll you'll listener, you will hear me kind of throughout this podcast, because the big thing about Batman Forever, at least nowadays in social media, uh, the social media sphere is that there is this crying out for the Schumacher cut, the director cut, the hidden director cut of this movie, Uh, the whole like release the blank cut made popular by the uh, by the Snyder cut movement over the last several years and finally getting that version of justice league early on in 2021. Uh, But here I actually have the film uh, comic adaptation of Batman forever. That actually does follow the Schumacher cut, or at least the kind of the, the plot outline of what that movie would have looked like. So kind of Schulmacher cut alert here. This movie was actually not supposed to start the way that all of us, have seen it with this whole bank heist with Batman uh, confronting Two-Face. The movie was actually supposed to start later on with our introduction to Edward Nigma and Bruce Wayne meeting him, which we'll talk we'll talk about here in a couple minutes. But already right off here the bat we have kind of studio interference, hey, let's make this cleaner, let's make this uh, more actiony, action-packed and let's get Batman doing actiony things to kind of get everyone into this movie right away
0: yeah and as much as i i'm intrigued to see obviously the the schumacher cut if the schumacher cuts uh released but i do like this opening because it's just like you really just sure. the you hit the ground running you get right into this action sequence and there's some fun beats in the action sequence that again kind of sets the tone of what this movie is. I mean, obviously, the Schumacher cut seems like it has a slightly different tone. But, you know, you get Batman, um, like, after a, a lift is being shot up a, an elevator sorry for our American listeners um, is being shot up <laughs> by a bunch of goons you know he obviously isn't in the elevator he jumps out he like has this like swinging kick and then he's like beating up the bad guys and then there is a series of com- what I can only say are comedy electrocutions with full kind of <laughs> <sound effects. laughs>
1: One of those moments in the theater, even as a kid, I was like, why are they making the sound? But, okay, (laughs) funny, let's go. (laughs) And
0: it is kind of like, yeah, even as a kid, you're like, oh, that's, you, you recognize that as something that's kind of like silly and cartoony. Yeah.
1: and it's as this movie goes along with this opening battle uh, the fight scene with those sound effects and the neon lights of gotham which is totally different from what we saw in tim burton's batman returns and hell even the batman 89 film where everything is very gothic and we have a lot of blacks and we have a lot of whites and a lot of yeah just kind of in between gray colors here there is uh, oranges there's yellows there's purples there's greens Uh, it's like whoever was mayor of gotham at the time was like i want everything neon folks no more of this tim burton gotham stuff (laughs) but yeah and and all of that is kind of setting the tone of this is like a perfect melding of the 1960s batman tv series with adam west and burt ward when Jim Carrey comes in in a, in a couple of minutes with his kind of Frank Gorshin-like performance of the Riddler, it's a perfect melding of that style with the Tim Burton style and the aesthetic of the Batman suit and kind of the, the Gotham aesthetic of these big statue-like uh, buildings. So, So with those cartoonish sound effects, I'm getting the sense that, okay, we're combining things here, we're combining styles, and I like it.
0: We definitely are combining things. And yeah. I, I do think we should... We mentioned this on the first time we recorded this. And I think it is worth mentioning again. Bankguard who gets stuffed in a safe <laughs> by, um, by Two-Face, has some of the worst line readings um, in the mo- Like, his acting is terrible. Like, when he says, Oh, No! It's boiling acids. <laughs> it's, it's like,
1: what Hey, <laughs> hey, that's my hearing aid. It's,
0: it's like, I I I get that like um some of the actors were probably directed to kind of like, you know, have it up, you know, it's it's going it's kinda of, kind of comical tone, you know, like we want, you know, this this is what we're kind of going for. But this guy hey. took that ball and really ran with it in
1: in the worst way. <laughs> When, when you're an actor, you, you go full out, and it's the director's job to say, okay, pull it back a little bit. And if the director never does that, you keep going. So, hey, he has, you're right, the worst line readings of this entire movie. You remember them, though. You do remember them. They <laughs> still remember in your them. Head. <laughs> hey, my shoes are melting. No more.
0: <laughs> yeah. What else do you remember? And this is the strange thing right because like tommy lee jones is known to be a serious guy even though he's had several wacky performances in his career especially um at this time before and before this like because his villain in under siege as we talked about on this podcast is hilariously over the top it's only kind of later on that he does like loads of westerns and becomes like kind of very serious you know like men in black tommy lee jones which i think from what i've heard is closer to his actual personality in real life (laughs) um and throughout the movie apparently throughout the filming of the film he really did not get on famously did not get on with jim Carrey, and famously said to jim carey that he would not sanction his buffoonery however tommy lee jones has plenty of his own buffoonery because the other thing that has always stuck out in my mind from this opening sequence and the kind of first half of the movie is Tommy Lee Jones's hilarious reactions every time Batman evades death. Like his <laughs> hilariously over the top, like,
1: oh, yeah, so <laughs> yes, oh, happy day. Yeah, and, and another thing of. Like the Schumacher cut, at least according to this comic book adaptation that I have, he a lot of his lines were cut for this movie, and there are deleted scenes out there that you can watch on YouTube, or if you have the Blu-ray or DVD, the special features there. Uh, where they have the dialogue of Tommy Lee Jones's two-face. And he is very, I want to kind of compare him to kind of Shakespeare. He's very eloquent in what he is saying and how he is saying it. And he's almost speaking in, in prose where it feels like it is two people talking where it's one one part is the serious side and then the other part is the crazy side kind of giving us the mm. sense of hey this two-faced guy is not just two-faced by name he does have actually two different psyches and two different people that are coming uh, coming to the forefront in his brain however <laughs> with this movie we're, we we got to cut it down to two hours so a lot of the stuff that you hear is just kind of cut out and you end up with just those crazy wacky reactions and it gets i don't i don't want to say it gets worse it just gets more even uh, amplified once this two-faced character meets up with the riddler later on so it's interesting that you say that and that tommy lee jones hated working with jim carrey yet jim carrey doing his jim carrey thing later on in the movie kind of fed into tommy lee jones Kind of acting like Jim Carrey throughout this movie, or at least trying to. I think, but they, but they, so
0: yeah, no, I, I do think like that that is just one of those things, though, that like, um, Tommy Lee Jones, I suppose Tommy Lee Jones was just like. I'm not going to let this bastard steal my limelight, you know.
1: So, like,
0: you know, if you can't be them, join them, kind of thing. I think maybe that's kind of what happened. (laughs) um, Yeah, yeah, I definitely
1: see him doing that. That makes sense. Um,
0: But then again, even even here, he's kind of like wacky and stuff. And like, mind you, some of his line readings are great. Like, I love, you know, when they're in the helicopter and um just before it's about to crash into the gotham statue of liberty um where just before he jumps off in the parachute you know he has that great quippy line of like at least have the good taste to
1: die (laughs) yeah that's right that's a great line (laughs) and he jumps out and he already has his parachute that is beautifully uh, embroidered with uh, yin Yang representing the Two-Face character. I I mentioned it in our first recording of this movie and I'll I'll say it again. Who is Two-Face's tailor? Because he has two sides of everything. Every suit, every house that he lives in, every car, his parachute, everything is split in two. And I'm like, who's your designer? Who's your (laughs) interior decorator? That is
0: true. He's got very skilled people working for him. Not like yeah. and not any of the people you see working for him on screen, but off screen. Yeah. Very skilled mechanics and uh, interior decorators and tailors, you know, like yeah. Very, <laughs> very skilled workforce. Yeah. Um you just don't see them on on screen. They're all working behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I was going to mention as well, because, like, one of the complaints of this movie has always been, it's, even at the time, it's ropey CGI. And, uh, like, after that, like, just as we, before we go on to, to Wayne HQ, um, we do get this kind of, this shot that kind of goes through the city it's like, that seems to be, like, a kind of CGI kind of city that's it's like yeah there's a lot of ropey cgi in this movie yeah the the
1: dam the it's like a crane shot going through and the news reporter Mm -hmm. is talking over uh, yeah early stages but you know it's 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 improving (laughs) over the years yeah i mean like to be
0: fair you know the um the cgi in this movie is not as bad as the cgi we covered in escape from la and it's oh, it's oh, not oh. as bad as, as spawn either so um so so oh, point, points on that
1: <laughs> oh yeah no not at all and and hell even uh even with uh, batman and robin a couple of years later the cgi in there it's actually not not terrible some of some of it is but the majority of it i'm like eh, it's not bad not that bad from what i what, what i remember but yeah this this whole scene of us cutting to uh, Wayne Tech, where uh, Bruce Wayne comes in to kind of oversee everything. We get our first introduction of Jim Carrey's Edward Nigma. This was part of the Schumacher cut again. This was actually supposed to be the very first scene of this movie. So we just get the introduction of these people without the masks on, or at least the rubber masks on uh, at first. And then when Bruce Wayne goes to his his desk and says lock desk and chair and he goes through the uh the the tube and he's talking with Alfred getting the suit ready that was him getting ready to go off to Two-Face so this scene was actually supposed to open this movie but of course we talked about it before we wanted to start with some action so we switch things around here but I do love this introduction of of Jim Carrey as Edward Nygma he's that that lovable fanboy who is just obsessed with Bruce Wayne and will do anything to talk to him and to get him to buy in on his investment of Enigma technology and his focus on brainwaves.
0: And I just remembered something I said in the first recording that I definitely want to say again. Oh, okay. Is, yes. Do you think Guy Pierce watched this film before he put in preparation for Iron Man Three? Because this this scene. I feel is so similar to the scene that happens at the beginning of Iron Man 3.
1: Absolutely, 100%. And then actually that uh, Iron Man 3 was 2013. You go even one year later with the amazing Spider-Man 2 and the amazing performance of Jamie Foxx as Electro, who we are going to be seeing here in a couple of weeks uh, with the Spider-Man No Way Home film. Uh, he has the same thing where he's obsessed really with Spider-Man. It's uh, did did Jim Carrey lay the blueprint for this type of villain for this type of character?
0: I'm not sure, but you might
1: have. <laughs> <laughs> in comic book films, I'm like this. You know, people people kind of give him a little crap for him being over the top and being too Jim Carrey ish. But so many people have emulated him over the over the last several decades in comic book films. Kind of like- also makes sense because John Favre is in this. In this scene as an assistant. Yes, he's he is
0: very briefly in this scene. <laughs>
1: I, I think I learned that earlier this year. I was like, what? That's John Favreau. Huh.
0: <laughs> there are some weird cameos in this movie. It's like, or like people that are like, who, are, yeah, you know, from other stuff or like, um, or become later, become more known or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this is definitely one of them, uh, John Favreau. Uh, turning up weird right because I mean I suppose this is so this i can't remember this might have come out in the same year as Swingers so like um it's, i can't. I can never remember if swingers is 95 or 96.
1: Uh, i think it was 96 i think it was the year after
0: okay okay all right um so I mean, around, around the same time so, so Fa made his breakthrough yet <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> well you talking about he made his breakthrough here
0: in a batman movie this is the beginning man this is the beginning yeah um so yeah i wanted to talk about i've kind of after that like um there's a scene with like chase meridian um who is played by uh nicole kidman who is Uh, entirely kind of thrown away in this movie she's completely wasted basically um she really isn't given that much however there is a kind of odd thing that happens Kind of almost directly after this. Um, where. Or maybe not quite directly after this. But certainly. They're again. Talking of the schizophrenic tone of this movie. Uh, the relationship between. Chase and Batman. Really kind of changes. Throughout the movie. So in the kind of second half of the movie. Or even even before. The, the second hour of the movie. Um, it becomes this thing. Of like she's with Batman and Bruce and um, it's all about kind of psychology or, you know, it's it's all about exploring his scarred psyche and and all this kind of this thing and his repressed memories. And it's Mm -hmm. supposed to be kind of taken seriously and it's supposed to be the grounded portion of the movie for the most part, for almost like, but in this opening segment of the movie, it is not at all. And it is very confusing uh, as a watcher um, for the relation, the way the relationship changes. Because basically, in the opening act of the movie, this relationship is like Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant in a screwball comedy. Just wacky, kind of spitting one-liners at each other, you know, where he's like, it's car, isn't it? chicks dig the car and you know and she's like uh you know like come over uh uh, you know like i'll bring the wine and uh you bring your scarred psyche and it's all these kind of zingy lines and then and then suddenly it's not and you're like what
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is the uh uh, maybe this is the attempt of like, hey, yeah, we are marketing this film, or at least trying to get more kids to buy our our merchandise. But mm-hmm. here's some adult content for the for the parents who are bringing their kids to the theater. So let's put Nicole Kidman in some lingerie and turn the bat signal on, and hopefully turn some more of Batman on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is um, this whole relationship is again with the taking of the Schumacher cut is taking away from this duality of the duality of this movie. Cause we have two characters here Two face. That is the literal representation of having two different personalities literally on his skin. You look at him and you go, Oh, that's two different people. But we also have Bruce Wayne and Batman here, or at least Bruce Wayne dealing with the facts that he is, or at least feels like he's being pulled in two different directions. He's being pulled as Bruce Wayne to be just Bruce Wayne, the billionaire playboy. But there's also this, this Batman project that he is working on trying to save Gotham. And he's being pulled between the two with these two different people. There is the one two face that seems pretty, even though he's crazy, seems kind of in sync with his duality. Whereas Batman who seems to be a little bit more grounded is actually fighting with himself more and that's what this relationship with nicole kidman's chase meridian is supposed to do it's supposed to help him figure that out or maybe pull him more towards the towards the light um Mm. but (laughs) with time constraints trying to get this thing in under two hours uh we just kind of lose all of that, and we just do the whole "Hey, Nicole Kidman, you are uh, pretty gorgeous. Let's just put you on screen because you are," and there we go.
0: But I was also—I I, suppose—I was also trying to get to the the fact that the tone of both Nicole, like, I mean. Like I say, Nicole Kidman's kind of wasted. She doesn't she isn't given much because it's so stripped back and stuff, like maybe the like she kind of looks bored throughout the movie and um, I don't know, maybe in the Schumacher cut with the, the extra stuff, like maybe it comes off better. Um but the to basically Val Kilmer's performance up until the point they go for the date at the circus is a different performance to the, the point after. because a lot of his line readings um in the that opening part of the movie is is basically he's doing kind of the thing that he does in top secret where he does like funny lines but he reads them in a totally serious way which makes them more funny and it's mm-hmm. like it's a real kind of comic performance um basically up until the the first yeah after but after the first meeting uh, at the psychiatrist's office, like, after he knocks down the comically giant door and, like, he's still doing the comic <laughs> performance. Post that point, his performance becomes, like, like broody and, and, and like, you know, all kind of tortured psyche. Um, yeah. And, like, he has some funny lines, but he's not doing the kind of parodic performance that he's doing. In the kind of opening half hour of, um, so it's a very, so like, I basically think he does two different performances in the opening half hour and the, the, the you know, preceding hour and a half. There's two totally different performances there for me. Yeah.
1: And I, I think I, I had always attributed to uh, seeing, having Bruce see the death of the Graysons in the circus and to kind of taking in a Dick Grayson to be that kind of shift for him uh, it, it kind of sounds like you're you're feeling it actually just before the circus uh to me i always felt it after and that's when he becomes brooding and he starts talking about the the red book the diary that was lost mm-hmm. um so i mean it's just to have him kind of start revisiting the death of his parents again which gosh everyone just loves talking about in batman films and of how of how sick they are of it <laughs> there's so many uh podcasts of of reviews on uh batman begins and batman v superman and hell even this movie and batman 89 i'm like i'm tired of seeing the pearls drop i don't want to see the pearls anymore stop giving us the origin story and i'm like this is batman you gotta give us the reason why batman is is going here
0: yeah yeah I, i i get it i get it for sure um
1: yeah but yeah, he he knocks over the the comically large apartment door or office door or wherever she's living there and invites her to invites her to the circus and we also have our little cut in scene of enigma killing his boss and figuring out that his brain waves machine works uh, because that's uh, the to quote this movie that's the technical term brain waves right
0: Brainwaves, yeah, it's brainwaves. That's the yeah. that's the it's, that's it's the scientific. Idea. It's the scientific term. This film's very keen on uh, <laughs> scientific terms. Yeah. Um, so, like, and and yes, I suppose we we should mention that a little bit because, like, this is one of the scenes that always stuck out to me and has always been emblazoned on my in my mind since I was a kid, since I first saw it. Like, you know, I suppose I've seen this movie a bunch of times. But uh, one of the scenes that I can always recall, you know, even if I like forget other scenes is um, like Jim Carrey's song and dance number um, when, when he's doing <laughs> testing out the invention, you know, it's, you know, sucking out your brain waves. <laughs> you know, like... doing a and, yep, yep.
1: It's always stood out to me too. Really anything that Jim Carrey did in these early nineties years, yeah. it was just, embedded into my brain so yeah if he's doing jim carrey yep i'm i'm paying attention but we also get the 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 uh the kind of serious side of of enigma and how sick of a person he is with how he kills his boss he's figuring out it works and then just shocks him out the window and says fred babe you're fired or should i say terminated
0: Yes. <laughs> a, he's a stone cold killer now. Um yeah. which is I again something of a turn because like, he you know, in that opening scene he doesn't seem like he seems mad, but he doesn't seem like um he would be quite so au fait with uh, like just mm. bumping somebody off like that that he, you know, this initial kill might have been more of a struggle for him. But nope, nope. We just get straight into him being a super villain. So that's he's a okay. villain.
1: That's right. This is a comic book movie and he needs to be. <laughs> and 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 we did we did two villains in Batman returns so we need to do two villains in this movie at least.
0: Yeah. Do you know what talking about things that stood out to me as a kid. Another thing that stood out to me as a kid is when Two-Face enters the circus and like takes over and starts yeah. shooting the place up and stuff like that. And he's like, ah, oh, one of you, one of you pasty face fools has to be Batman, you know, like, you know, it's probably one of you in the crowd or whatever. Um, I can't remember the exact line, but it's something like that. And then Val Kilmer tries to say, I'm Batman. And, uh, but he can't, he's, he, you know, Nobody can hear him, even though I feel like... Two things that stood out to me, actually. I always feel like the people sitting next to him should hear him. So I always feel like <laughs> Chase Meridian should find out that he's Batman in this scene, not later on in mm-hmm. the movie. The other thing is, like, he is... Bruce Wayne goes down to the ground floor and is kung fu fighting gang members in the center circle... Of the circus and yet and I know there's a lot of chaos nobody and I mean nobody spots this and thinks like hey Bruce Wayne is really good at kung-fu like that's weird I wonder if he's batman like i just it like even as a kid i questioned the logic of this i was like what nobody sees him doing this he has fought off like five gang members with kung fu skills but like, something that's i believe has never been reported on bruce wayne you
1: know billionaire playboy um <laughs> and and not even and not even just that he also repels in like he's like, he kind of climbs the scaffolding, takes out the 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 guys on the big drums that, are, that they're banging, and then he swings in and takes out and starts doing the kung fu stuff. So it's like, come on, guys. Uh, yeah, even as a kid, I remember that moment when he stood up and said, Harvey, I am Batman. And I'm like, dude, no. What are you doing? You don't do that. You're Bruce Wayne. You don't reveal your true identity. Exactly. Yeah. But I also I, lo- I also love the circus scene because this is when this is what I was waiting for. I was waiting for, like my entire life up to this moment to see Robin on the big screen, and here he is. He's uh, Dick Grayson of the Flying Graysons, and uh, when you see him in the kind of circus getup of the Robin later on, Robin costume that we will see, uh, it puts a smile on my face and I get excited. This is. Finally, I'm seeing Robin. Love Robin.
0: I don't know. I've, I mean, um, I think you've mentioned on previous podcasts, um, or not, not, not the original recording. I'm not referring to the original recording of this podcast that nobody's obviously heard, uh, but like one <laughs> of the editions of, of podcasts you've, you've been on. Um, such as backdraft and executive decision and other things, where Batman and wrestling always seem to come up. Um, anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned you're a big fan of Robin, and this is kind of where we we, we diverge because I, I think we talked about it in the Three Musketeers episode. Um, I right. was not um, particularly enamoured as a child with Chris O'Donnell. However, mm-hmm. you you were you were a much bigger fan.
1: And, and I think I was a fan because he was Robin, you know, in my older, older years, seeing his performance and techniques of an actor, there's not much there. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but, but for me, it was always just that iconic image of seeing some like, okay, I'm being told this is Robin. So yeah, that's awesome. And this is really cool. And probably the, most beautiful thing that's always stuck in my mind is the the ending of this circus scene of his family, his brother and his parents on, on the circus uh, orchestra floor. Uh, no blood, which was interesting. They just fell from the top of the circus tent. So there should be blood spattered everywhere, but you know, it's a kid's movie and just peering up and seeing the silhouette of this seemingly small kid this teenager looking down at the end of his family and i always just loved that imagery and for me it's always silhouette you can always you can always uh, appeal to me by doing any type of silhouette like that but yeah mm-hmm. i love yeah. that imagery
0: it's funny that it's funny the things you question logic wise as a kid because like um You know i questioned the logic of nobody seeing um (laughs) val uh fighting people on the circus floor um even as a kid and yet i never questioned the logic of uh, the grayson family falling from a great height and there being no blood probably because i had already seen like other batman films uh, and i i'd seen like james bond films that are that are good for that and like watch like things like the a-team and stuff like that where people get blown up shot to bits no blood you know like <laughs> yeah, so i'd seen yeah. that enough that i'd never questioned the logic of that i've just been like ah, oh, yeah that's, that's These what the kids the <laughs> so desensitized yep <laughs> <You know? laughs> just violent yeah. things happen and and nothing really nothing really much happens um,
1: uh. <laughs> but then yeah but then uh so his so his family uh, dies and uh, police commissioner gordon played by the amazing uh pat Hingle, i believe is his name yeah, yep pat Hingle. Yeah. uh comes to wayne manor and says hey bruce we need you to take him in because he's got nobody and you know, even just watching it Uh, recently for this podcast i go what about him says that he is not 18 and he can take care of himself legally as an adult why does someone have to take him in
0: (laughs) this is an interesting thing so um you know looking up on imdb um chris o'donnell um was born in 1970 so even if this film was filmed in 1994 he would be um, 24. And he he looks it. He looks exactly his age. He doesn't look older mm-hmm. than his age. He just looks exactly his age. So he looks yep. like a man of, like, whether it was filmed in, in 95 or whether it was filmed in 94. So he was he's around the age of 24, 25. And that's kind of what he looks. And, yeah, it's very confusing. Because you're like, I mean, the, the state doesn't need to take care of him. He is clearly an adult by any standard. <laughs>
1: and they, and they, they try to make him appear younger by making him seem uh, shorter than Val Kilmer, uh, even like as Robin with Batman and also as Dick with Bruce. They kind of bring him down and bring him shorter. I don't know if they put Val Kilmer on, on a platform. I know for some of the promotional posters, when it was just Batman and Robin kind of standing like back to back, they have Batman more on a pedestal uh, to make him appear taller. So I don't know if the they were trying to make him appear younger, but just looking at him like, no, he is not under 18. He can <laughs> write off. And do whatever he wants. I don't know why he needs to be here. But I do I do love Michael Goff's Alfred uh, trying to persuade him to stay after Bruce is showing him all the motorcycles. And like, hey, look how cool it is to be here. And Michael Goff comes in and he's like, oh, well, I have this, this uh, sandwich and milk, but I'll just give it to the dogs. Maybe they're hungry.
0: <laughs> and it's like, uh, you know, I mean it's a it's not just a sandwich it's like a full like it's like fries yeah. and uh like aberdeen angus steak burger you know like <laughs> it's,
1: it's <laughs> elegant drive through actually is what is what he got
0: what's that no uh, he El- got he
1: got elegant drive through yeah it's awesome oh. when he got drive through
0: when he got drive through yeah. uh from one of the many many fast food chains that, that you have
1: <laughs> um, that, like... <laughs> yep. Several we we of which love it here in, in
0: the UK. Although I found out, um, this is a very brief tangent. We'll get to back to the movie very, very soon. Um, it's weird how like different American franchises land in different places because like obviously the obvious ones are in the UK like um, you know like McDonald's and KFC and Burger King and, and stuff like that and then mm-hmm. like in the last few years we've got kind of other ones like Krispy Kremes opened and stuff like that in the UK like within like the last kind of five years or whatever um, but coming to New Zealand, uh, New Zealand has Wendy's and uh, that's that doesn't exist in the that doesn't exist in the uk i was like oh okay
1: was... <laughs> your first experience with wendy's interesting i've not i've
0: not tried it yet i'm not, oh, I'm, okay. not I'm not trying it yet i don't know if wendy's is any good or yet or anything um uh but uh yeah know,
1: it was it was pretty terrible like a year ago when i tried it we just tried it again actually recently okay and i was like okay maybe it was just a bad bad batch last year, but the fries this time okay they were pretty pretty good interesting okay, uh, okay. Wendy's is a little hit and miss so may, well he, at least here in the states I don't know what it is in New Zealand but I, I
0: don't I don't know haven't tried it but like I was just amused that like um yeah different American franchises just um pop up in different places yeah. in the world I also like the last thing on American franchises I remember Within the last kind of three or four years, I I had like a couple of American friends who were like uh, when Taco Bell opened in Glasgow, they were like we should definitely go to Taco Bell, and I was like is it any good? And they were like no, but it's Taco Bell, you know like you gotta go to Taco Bell, and I'm like what why if it's not that good? And it's just like yeah, it's but it's it's taco bell and
1: i'm like it's, yeah stop saying yeah. that like would was go? no because that, no, that's that's what we do here it's not good in the states but it it's taco bell it's open late it's really cheap so you do it yeah but yes
0: that's what everybody says about taco you're so confusing to me I've, I've been like yeah it's it's, it's you know
1: they're plus they're, plus they're gonna win the they're gonna win the franchise wars in a couple of years so. oh
0: yeah okay oh, yeah that's that's right yeah based on the prof the, the prophecies of demolition man um which will all come true
1: um <laughs> <laughs> like half of them already have so
0: yeah 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 a bunch of them have so all of them obviously will will follow after oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah so uh yeah so uh, uh dick is now living at Wayne Manor and is telling Uh, Alfred the story about how he saved his brother from a loose wire and is showing him the Robin helmet and uh, which always confused me looking at that Robin helmet I love the story and I love the reasoning behind it like he flew out like a Robin to save his brother that's why he has the nickname of Robin. But looking at that helmet i'm like that is not a robin i live in michigan and our state bird is the robin that's a cardinal (laughs) that is not a robin on that helmet
0: well that's true because like um i you know like um i i'm not pretty i'm not an ornithologist i don't know Mm -hmm. loads about birds however i have watched american football and on the helmets of the arizona cardinals it's the exact same bird. So,
1: <laughs> it's a red bird. A cardinal is a red bird. The robin is is gray, and then has like an orange, an orange belly, whatever the technical bird term is. I don't know. Yeah, because you get a th- that red always... robin.
0: You get a red robin, but it's just like on their chest. It's basically yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, that part always always bugged me. I'm like, that is not a robin. It's a cardinal, but fine. I love the story and the reasoning why we call him Robin. Uh, but then after this, we we get to the introduction of Two Face to Riddler, where we get to see Tommy Lee Jones' first deal with Jim Carrey, and we again get to see the interior and des- uh, in, the interior decorating. We get to see Sugar and Spice because he needs to have two women to satisfy both sides of his brain. One side is all white and angelic, and the other side is all devilishly evil and spicy and red and meaty
0: yeah um, do you know what something I hadn't questioned up until this point even the first time we recorded so like oh. um you know like a few months back I rewatched this movie in August that you know and now uh, and we recorded an episode on it didn't think about it and we're recording an episode I guess so like I've seen this movie several times and obviously Sugar and Spice the whole concept of Sugar and Spice is one is you know angelic and conservative and like you know everything's very sweet and light and fluffy and it's you know the meal she serves him is like a healthy meal and you know the meal that Spice serves them is like is is just just basically just meat, just lots of meat, and then you know yeah. and, and like alcohol and more meat and and you know and all this kind of stuff, and it's all heavy metal and stuff. They both give him a cigarette, and I was like, that seems. <laughs> <laughs> yep,
1: and and one of one is like a, a like a standard cigarette, and then the other one is like this black coated one.
0: Yeah, exactly. But yeah. it's like. It's like why would Sugar give him a cigarette? Surely that's like, like everything else. Kind of is in line. Everything's soft and fluffy and and nice and pretty and healthy. Um, but they both give him a cigarette. I, I I suppose it's just for that image of him having two cigarettes in his mouth. But like uh, I was oh. like ah, that doesn't actually make any sense. I it's well, just that's... something I picked up on this time watching it.
1: Well, and that and we didn't get those truth uh, commercials until like the early 2000s like smoking was still okay in the 90s
0: that is that is very
1: true <laughs> that is very true uh, smoking was
0: banned in pubs in the uk in 2006 so yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah
1: and i think we we followed kind of a couple of years after that but, but yeah in the 90s no smoking was still cool no, so yeah, yeah, for it's... him to do it twice yeah <laughs>
0: smoking still cool in the 90s Um. (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i also love when when the riddler shows up Uh, i've read uh, articles of jim carrey just practicing in the mirror with his uh, cane twirling he would just twirl that thing so so much that he could just do whatever he wanted on set Uh, but i also love this costuming one because it it's a great representation of frank gorshin's Uh, riddler from the 60s television show but i also love how it it stays with the theme of if you wear a mask over your eyes you always need to paint the blackness around your eyes whether you're batman whether you're robin or here you're the riddler with this little domino mask the little black around his eyes is makeup it is it's the yeah it's just black paint that you need to apply yourself as the person. It's something that's always bugged me about Batman movies (laughs) of how it's like Batman always has the makeup underneath his eyelids. And it's something that I love about the trailers for the Batman movie that's coming out next year is that they show him taking off his cowl and he still has the black circles around his eyes. Like Nicolas Cage did in kick-ass like, yes, thank you. I know it's there. And here Jim Carrey is still continuing it with the yeah. aesthetic.
0: Yeah, 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 for for sure. I I don't know, like um, yes, it, it would be fun to have those kind of cutscenes as they carefully apply the the makeup uh, around their their eyes because that's 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 always funny. It's a bit like yeah. if you see like um, kind of. I, I know this will be my last wrestling reference um <laughs> the like behind the scenes of like wrestlemania and stuff and you see like the undertaker this giant man like carefully applying the makeup around his eyes you know kind like of black yep. eyeliner you know <laughs> like it's, it's just a, dying to just... goatee yeah because <laughs> yeah. you think you know you because you, you, you think oh it's a big corporation probably they've got makeup people to do that nope no they don't no <laughs> I, you know, I think the, the legion of doom like their own face makeup, you know? It's it's not yep. <laughs> yep,
1: I think they're all the makeup artists are only there for for the uh, for the women wrestlers. I don't think they're there for the guys. No. None other... at all. <laughs> no. Uh, no. And and actually, um before we kind of just to reference back, we actually missed a car chase scene with the Batmobile and Two-Face's uh, little goons cuz after Dick uh, comes to Wayne Manor we start getting flashbacks of Bruce uh, remembering the death of his parents and he starts seeing this little red red book on a desk and that's part of his flashback and this plays into a Schumacher cut uh, situation here towards the end of the movie but just wanted to bring it up mm-hmm. and uh, you know, do you remember anything of, or do you want to talk at all about the Batmobile chase what do you think of the Batmobile design at all
0: Um, I always quickly currently- the Batmobile design in this movie
1: yeah yeah it's it's one of my favorite designs I think it was one of like the most popular ones I believe I saw the Batmobile like on the Drew Carey show I don't know if you had Mm. that uh in uh in Scotland but uh yeah it's like this it's kind of representing of like the ectoskeleton of a of a bat where you kind of see the insides of the engine and the car and the vehicle so Mm -hmm. i always liked this one uh now
0: scotland i don't like i don't remember drew uh, in when i was a kid the only thing i remember that i knew drew carey from was he was that guy who hosted whose line is it anyway
1: right (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) now 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 schumacher cut alert this the batmobile chase scene originally was not supposed to happen here after the death of after the circus and after the death of the graysons this car chase scene was supposed to happen after the uh the lingerie scene on the with the bat signal with chase meridian and batman after he jumps off and gets into his car and says huh, women and drives off then this was supposed to lead into the two-face uh, car chase scene but Again, Schumacher cut and studio interference were cutting and pacing and putting this later on uh, at this point. So,
0: yeah, I, I think, like, it makes sense. It, it makes sense that, the, uh, like, I think the that having that scene at that point in the movie actually makes more sense. Because this scene, this car chase scene, um, seems kind of plonked in. Like, it makes narratively it makes more sense to be like he, he jumps in the car and then like this this happens whereas right yeah, it just kind of comes out of left field, the, that sequence, um, before we get the meeting with um, Two-Face and the Riddler. I mean, it's a fun sequence. And again, yeah. I enjoy Tommy Lee Jones' over-the-top reaction of, like, oh, oh, Batman's not dead, you know, even though I used this, you know, when he fires the bazooka at him and then, like, misses um, the Batmobile because the Batmobile has weird sidey t- tire powers. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, but it does kind of come out of nowhere because like, and I think again it feels, it kind of ties into that thing of there's a lot of moments in this movie that feel like tonally jarring because we've had this like emotional beat of Batman makes it, well Bruce Wayne makes this Freudian slip of when he says I killed them instead of he killed them and uh, then we have this heart to heart with alfred and robin and then we just kind of uh jump into this car chase sequence and it it just feels very jarring and shuddering and kind of like oh okay uh action again i I guess um and then we get this fun meeting with um, the riddler and two-face so it feels like it feels like we should more just move from that Alfred uh, and Robin heart-to-heart uh, after Alfred's had his conversation with with Bruce Wayne, where he's, he's obviously kind of like in two minds, um, and then moved just to the Riddler meeting Two-Face. So, yeah, it, it always it always felt kind of like ill-fitting having this scene right here, plonked right here. It does feel very plonked into the movie.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a, a meta-commentary on... The duality of how this movie feels, not only the duality in this movie, maybe of what of what was originally intended with the duality between Batman and and Bruce Wayne, uh Batman and Two-Face. This is also kind of a a duality here of uh, what Warner Brothers wanted, and then the Schumacher cut of what was trying to be done here. Because yeah, you plot this car chase randomly here after the death of the Graysons, and it's like, well the energy the pacing of the movie kind of is dying down we're getting too serious we need to just kind of plop in some action here yeah. Um, so yeah yeah it definitely feels we're we're kind of getting like a schizophrenic moment here of what you were feeling in the very first scene with the drive through line uh and it just kind of continues all throughout and we continue uh to when cuz uh, cuz Dick Grayson figures out that uh, bruce wayne is batman by doing his grayson thing and swinging through the doors yes. to see
0: just briefly before we we get into like um so basically <laughs> the the kind of two things happening of robin discovering who batman is and also like uh the Enigma tech thing kind of blown up and um, mm. the Riddler's there's this kind of big section. There's this kind of middle section of the movie. Not a lot happens. It's just basically like Robin does a lot of moaning. The Riddler becomes a super successful businessman overnight and can build a giant HQ in like two days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, I want to mention what I think might be the silliest thing in this movie now, there's a lot of th- silly things in this movie. You're, you're thinking, Scott, we've already gone through the drive through line, and we've mentioned the overtop performances of Tommy Lee Jones and uh, the Riddler, and there's a whole lot of neon. And there's, what what could possibly be the silliest thing in this movie? Kung Fu laundry. I've always found Kung Fu laundry <laughs> the silliest thing in this movie. I have seen this. Movie. I've thought about this on this most recent watch. That even though my favorite Batman movie is the Dark Knight, and um, this probably isn't even my favorite Batman movie of the original four Batman movies, uh, the modern Batman movies, but it's probably actually the Batman movie that that I've seen the most times. And every time, I always find this the silliest moment: Kung Fu Hundred. <laughs>
1: And there are some deleted scenes. I think either before or right after this scene of of Dick uh, kind of f- fighting with a couple of mannequins, and then Bruce Wayne comes in and kind of shows him how to accurately do it. So we kind of get that that father son or partner partnership between the two. But. I would be lying if I said that when I saw that in theaters, that I did not immediately go home and try that myself <laughs> with my clothes. <laughs> I, I love this scene. I think it's so cool. It shows us that, hey, he is kind of cool and, and Kung Fu, and he can do martial arts stuff with laundry. So, of <laughs> course, I'm going to buy him being Robin here in a couple of minutes. Also, he's also I'm kind of a jerk by, by yeah, what he does. He
0: is. He's definitely a <laughs> jerk. Did you ever question the fact that, like, um, before he does like his kind of gymnastic thing to get into the back cave, you know, so he's just in time to sneak through the door, um, just before he jumps over the stair banister, he he says now, and I was I'm always i always, always thought to myself, who is he saying that to? Is he just saying that to himself? Because that's <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs>
1: I didn't think it was weird too. <laughs> it's it's kind of, uh, you were talking about James Bond or referencing James Bond. It's like in those spy movies when you have like the the scientific device that copies like a cell phone or whatever and it's working and it copies and the bad guy walks away and then you turn your phone around so and the screen is showing like copy enabled or copy successful. It's kind of like that. It's like, we don't need that, but it's just there to tell the audience that hey it worked or hey i'm going now but yeah it's like now
0: ah. oh and the one of the things that has always given me one of the biggest laughs in this movie um is when robin like discovers the bat cave goes off in a joyride in the batmobile and mm-hmm. then bruce is having a date with chase meridian Yep. and alfred calls him on his watch modern technology um on his yeah. on his apple watch from <laughs> um, his uh, apple watch
1: in 1995 1995 from apple watch yep. um,
0: and uh, they have this they have this conversation this like a kind of full comedy routine like a kind of who's on first um where he's where he's like He's like, oh, no, um, I've got some bad news. Um, uh, Robin's, Robin's uh, taken the car. He's like, what, the Jaguar? Uh, no, no, the other car. What, the
1: Bentley? No, no, the other car. The other car. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I mentioned it the last recording, and I'll mention it now that I could have taken another 40 minutes of him just listing off car names. <laughs> And Michael Goth going, no, sir, the other car. <laughs> I, I could have, t-
0: I could have taken several more minutes of of this game of like, you know, because we see his like his little car museum, his car, you know, his garage-stroke car museum that he's got, and yeah. he's just being like, what the Volvo? No, the other car. What <laughs> the Rolls Royce? No. <laughs> what?
1: The Oldsmobile. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, and it's the face that he makes at the end of it. Where he, his thick like caterpillar like eyebrows just like go all the way down. It's just mm.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a great moment. And then and, and then it kicks into like a rock and roll song and yeah. Dick Grayson is driving through the neon uh, back alleyways of gotham you city that,
0: that rock and roll song is uh smash him up um which is uh the offspring doing a cover of the original um damned song so um a, a great punk band pop punk band covering another great punk band uh, started, um, <laughs>
1: yeah well this, and well and it's <laughs> it's uh fair to to mention that this movie has an amazing an amazing soundtrack i think it I think kiss from a rose won an emmy not an emmy uh but a, a grammy
0: a grammy i think yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah no this has this has a great soundtrack um yeah, and, and like a weird soundtrack as well because like the soundtrack you know obviously it's got like the big numbers that everybody remembers from this movie is um the song from the the two end credit songs like seals kiss from a rose and um, I can never remember the exact order of how this goes, but the U2 song, "It Hold Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, Thrill Me," however yep. the order of that goes. Um, that's the two songs everybody really remembers. But like this has like a weirdly hip soundtrack, where it's got like people on it that you would not expect to be on the soundtrack of a mainstream movie, like PG Harvey and Nick Cave and the Flaming Lips and sunny day real estate and you're like a method man and you're <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, yeah it's pretty impressive the the collaboration and the uh, compiling of all these different artists here it's actually really cool
0: yeah it's one of those great 90s soundtracks um yeah um yeah but but, but dick the grace is thing the is, like even though i've written totally different notes i watched this the other night there Um, Because I lost my notes for the original recording, so I I watched the movie the other night there and wrote totally different notes. And so all my notes for the movie are totally different. I don't remember writing this any time for the first recording. But the one line that I think I wrote exactly the same in the first recording that I wrote this time was, Robin interrupts attempted rape by Class of Newcomb High. I think I think in both both times I wrote the exact same sentence. I think I,
1: think I remember you saying that before too. Yeah, yeah. And and, and okay. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an attempted rape and the reward for him to do so is a kiss on the lips. Which I was like, I, I don't know if I would be in the state of mind to want to do that after being uh, after being attempted yeah, no, raped. But you know,
0: probably probably not. But this, no, this move
1: But you know, it's. It, we gotta we gotta give uh, Dick Grayson the cool lineup. I could definitely get into this superhero gig.
0: Yeah because it's all about picking up shit yeah this movie's attitude towards women is not it's the 90s i'm I'm sorry we apologize for being the 90s and um you know well like, and i
1: think uh, you we... mentioned it the first recording that this movie is super horny
0: yes i i did like because like everybody like if you do something macho like women just fall you it's, it's a bit like the three musketeers recording like exactly uh, the, yep. the three musketeers episode it's again it's the exact same thing if you do anything yep. macho women will just automatically fall at your feet and want to kiss you and get you into bed and and all this sort of stuff. Then that happens throughout the movie and yes, and there is a moment like when the Riddler is demoing the box to Two-Face where to get the attention of to call over the women he he like kind of has like a kind of wavy hand sign towards towards Spice which is acceptable. You can do that. You could... He he just whistles at Sugar like she's a dog, and yet she responds to that and doesn't go <laughs> she like. comes over. What That's the right. fuck? Still... <laughs> Get the fuck it's away so from me! You and it's, and it's so you. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Um, yeah she's just like yeah. okay uh, I will just um come I'll, know, I'll
1: come, come over sure over, you know? You know, all, all like, I uh, all I did today was interior decorate this one half of this apartment and yeah. cook this huge ass boar
0: yeah, I yep. spice cooked the huge ass boar sugar cooked something else that I can't actually oh cook. that's right I, yeah, that was the other thing like you know I was like you know it's amazing that Tommy, you know, Two-Face kept his figure if he's eating two giant dinners every day, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But that's another mystery for another time.
1: Yeah, maybe that's in the Schumacher cut. I don't know. Our, our, our I can't. Two I two cannot confirm or deny as well. that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so Nigma and Two Face, they go out, they start robbing, and they get super rich. As you said, Nigma is able to build his fortress and build his own empire. And we get to a a, a releasing party of the new Nigma Tech technology that is basically virtual reality, or it's or it's basically three uh, D. Uh, for for movie theaters, because, you know, that was a, a fun little piece of technology that we all remember. Uh, not. Uh, but here we get our next little uh, I, I, love, I,
0: I love that people have tried to, since the 50s, have tried to get 3D off the ground, and yet people are like, actually, we like it for a while, but we're not really that
1: into it. <laughs> I, I just don't understand the appeal. It's like, wow well, things are jumping out at you. And I'm like, okay. But it's still 2D. It's not really there. It I never know. I will never understand.
0: I don't know. Like... Hollywood tries to keep making it a thing. Like, like I say, it started. There was there was a, a small craze in the fifties. There was a small craze in the eighties, and then and then it be, like, became big again around Avatar time, where every blockbuster had to be in three D yep. for a couple of years, and then and then people were like, yeah, you know what? Like it was cool in Avatar, but you know, like we don't actually give no no like it, unless you actually film it in three D, it just looks weird, and we it yeah. gives us a headache, and like we'd rather just watch a movie just does a movie yep. thanks
1: <laughs> exactly but well, that's what jim carrey is is uh that's what nigma is doing here he's releasing nigma tech and uh bruce wayne tests it out and he gets his kind of brain copied onto a a, a liquid usb drive whatever they have there <laughs> i always wondered what that was I'm like that's an interesting uh, floppy disk i guess would have been the terminology back then yeah <laughs> um, but I, I also, what stands out before the whole Batman Two Face Goons fight scenes, I I loved how when uh, Bruce Wayne is talking with Nigma and they're kind of trying to one up each other, Nigma pulls out his glasses and sh- starts mimicking everything that Bruce is doing, <laughs> even even the t- whispers over to Drew Barrymore. He's like, "How's my mole?
0: Yeah, <laughs> looks <not> fine." Nice. <laughs> yeah it's, it's very it's very funny yeah. it does it does feel like a very ace ventura move um that when right. he does that you know like when he's doing yes. the kind of mimicking that it's like oh yeah that's it feels very familiar um but probably if, if... the
1: thing i remember the most about this entire scene is the entrance of batman from the glass roof and he gets he lands on this champagne-like structure And as he's coming down, we zoom in on Chase Meridian, who is like, oh, God, Batman again. But right behind her is one of the best extras I have ever seen in a movie. He points up and yells, Batman! Ah!" And I will (laughs) never forget this guy. (laughs) It's like, yes, of all the line readings, that (laughs) one right there.
0: I love extras who make the most of their like if you know like uh, extras who are like fiddling about in the background or you know if, if it's maybe just in a scene to to like die or something and then it's like you know you see them in the background of the scene still wriggling about three minutes later um mm-hmm. or they just have like one line but they're like I'm going to make the most out of this one line um I, I love things like that
1: <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite moments of this uh, of this movie is just that great little (laughs) the extras going for it and is earning every single cent of that line reading
0: absolutely um i would say like one of the most memorable again one of the things that i always remember um as a kid like with the jim carrey song the dance number is jim carrey's line right here where he just looks to tommy lee jones and he goes um your entrance was good his was better and it's
1: just, <laughs>
0: <laughs> i just always remember the way he says that i like okay and, of,
1: it, and uh, you know it's also, joy it's of also one of those moments too where like how you were with bruce wayne in the circus of bruce wayne doing all the kung fu with all the henchmen enigma's over there just talking with two-face the guy who's holding up this entire party just chatting is anyone else looking over there like hey do you think they're kind of in cahoots? Because <laughs> he's not holding a gun to him, you know?
0: Oh, uh, dear. Yeah, I, I know. It's one of those kind of, like, moments where you're like, uh, what? Is is everybody blind? There's, like, a face. Guys, let's,
1: let's turn around. Let's stop pointing at Batman and going, eh. Hey, hey, it's
0: Batman. Let's look watch for Batman enigma. fighting. Let's not pay attention to the conversation that the new rich businessman on on town is uh, talking to the the main villain around these parts. Let's not pay attention to that (laughs) at all. Let's just look at Batman. Yeah. Um, And while looking at Batman, there is also a fun moment in this fight sequence. that I always enjoyed where they do like a little kind of Indiana Jones moment. Where you've yep. got this one goon who's like um really skillful with like like nunchucks and stuff and is doing all these like cool moves and then
1: Batman just kicks him in the face. Was was that is that beat was did that start with Raiders of the Lost Ark? Because you mentioned you mentioned Three Musketeers, that movie had that moment. Uh, with porthos the pirate on the ship oh. uh and it happened here and it's happened in so many other action movies i don't know like the first raiders?
0: time i ever yeah i i mean obviously raiders is 81
1: i want to 81, say 81 i want to say yeah
0: uh, so yeah i believe that raiders is the first one that like started that as like a trend of like you know the like you know the guy with the swords and then like indiana the the jones just pulls out his gun and shoots him yeah. and um yeah I, I think that was what started it and then like yeah. loads of action movies since then has imitated that beat because it's a fantastic beat and it gets a laugh every time like i laughed about it here i laughed about it in three musketeers like if i see it in any other movie
1: you it's know, gonna get a laugh yep. yeah
0: yeah it, exactly it's, it's a great gag <laughs> and,
1: it, and it's and that's a i don't it's not improvised but it was not supposed to happen because harrison ford the day of shooting that scene was supposed to do an action piece but he was i don't know if he had food poisoning or the flu or something yeah he just yeah he do was it Ill. and then yeah, just he like, Let Ill, me just like so
0: they had to like yeah he <laughs> had to do that on the fly it's just it's yeah. amazing that something that has been um you know kind of ripped off so many times and has become so iconic and is one of the most iconic moments in any of the indiana jones films and mm-hmm probably just cinema um right. it's, it was just like an accident of like yeah he was ill that day he couldn't do a full full action sequence so they were just like uh what can we do instead oh this would be a fun guy
1: yeah absolutely and, uh, and, and batman jumps out of the building to go after two-face and gets down into like a little construction site where they're working on the roads and again schumacher cut uh, issue here. A lot of the Two Face lines are cut. Again, a lot of monologues and a lot of soliloquies that Two Face is having. Uh, but he gets buried under sand. And this is our first appearance of uh, Dick Grayson performing as Robin and comes in and saves Bruce and saves Batman. And then we have our fun little chat with them in the Bat Cave of like, hey, so what are you going to call me? Bat Boy, Nightwing? What's a fun superhero name and i remember hearing the nightwing name and going like yeah call him nightwing because nightwing's cool love nightwing
0: he has to be robin for. um that's true (laughs) it's the order it goes in um yeah so and uh, again like um there's a moment like when he when he flies into the tube and there's also a moment with the kind of flame retardant cape um where you know you get like this bad cgi and you're like you're like ugh um, but then you immediately forgive the movie for that because you have this cool moment of like Batman emerging from the flames and you're like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That
1: that is one of the probably the biggest fist pump, fist in the air moment. The <laughs> Goldenthal theme kicks in and he runs out from the flame and you're like, Yeah, that's that's Batman.
0: Yeah yeah exactly exactly and you i i immediately every time i say i see that sequence i immediately forget the opcg because i'm like "Ah, that's just that's cool that's cool i'm 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 gonna i'm gonna give you a pass movie because you gave me that sequence so i'm all good yep
1: absolutely absolutely. (laughs) Um,
0: yeah and then like uh, again we get into one of the kind of lulls of the movie um where we get like kind of some arguments between bruce and dick over whether they should be partners or not and we get some back and forth with um batman and chase and um chase realizing that she actually loves bruce and Mm -hmm. um yeah like um
1: and also bruce with with alfred because uh bruce is saying no dick i'm you're not gonna do this and dick's saying i'm gonna do this whether you want me to or not and I'll, I love this, uh, the the sequence with Bruce and Alfred of Bruce saying, you're encouraging him and Alfred giving just a, one of my favorite lines of the movie is like men with a mind with revenge need little encouragement. They need guidance. Yeah. And that is such important to the whole Batman lore. That's kind of why Batman exists. It's to give a, a kind of like a compass to vengeance and to, Uh, self-justice i guess and that's what we're kind of moving in with with dick and that's what alfred did with bruce kind of helping him with this whole batman project and there's this whole uh, schumacher cut scene in here too where he's watching tv and the news is saying all of these crazy people over the last several years have popped up all because of batman so if batman was to go away all two-faced riddler penguin catwoman they wouldn't exist so this all starts the whole uh, kind of him making the decision of calling it quits with batman and just being bruce wayne Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and i think a lot of the i suppose like a lot of the kind of more grounded stuff doesn't entirely work for me
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh,
0: what for a couple of reasons I think I mean I see where they're going for it, and the groundy stuff works for me in the sense of like I get the the essence of, of what they're trying to do and I, I keep seeing what they're trying to do and being like admiring what they're trying to do however I think the drawbacks of that are basically one um, while this movie is a lot of fun and uh, it looks great Um, I think like the neon visuals are are cool and I think that um, the action sequences are really well done and there's, I think there's some real stuff to admire about this movie from the, the production design point, from the music point, from the action kind of point of view, stuff like that. However, I would say the script is terrible. (laughs) Um, like or you know I know that you know it's not always the people who are credited as screenwriters like I know script doctrine there's people probably tinkering with the script so like who knows what the original script or whatever is I think the the script is not good Um, and also I think that Val Kilmer has great chemistry with Michael Goff he bounces off him real well However, I don't think Val Kilmer has particularly good chemistry with either Chris O'Donnell or Nicole Kidd. I don't know if you view it differently, but I'm not... Yeah, they, they don't mesh brilliantly. And, I mean, I've seen, like, uh, Val Kilmer have amazing sexual chemistry with other kind of female co-leads or or like love interest type characters like even you know uh this is kind of out chronologically but you've got to remember most of the episodes were recorded in august and this is now november um so (laughs) the the saint which will come out in a few weeks um he's got great sex of chemistry with Elizabeth Shue in that movie but I don't think they have or I think their chemistry is pretty good in the opening sequences, but when they try to do the like serious turn in the relationship, it just comes off as kind of
1: bland. I, I think I buy his chemistry with Chase more as Batman than Bruce Wayne. Like yeah, when he's right, Batman, yeah. I okay, personally okay, I that, feel it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and and I would agree that the chemistry between uh, Val Kilmer and Chris O'Donnell is not a hundred percent there. I think i think really it it for it uh, it for me is that chris o'donnell is just not he's not a kid and that's w- what batman does he sees like the lost young kid's soul because that's who he was he's an orphan mm-hmm. so he looks for those young people who have a mind for vengeance or is angry at the world and tries to give them guidance but here it's just like, he's, he's an adult. You don't need to do that. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's not your responsibility, but, uh, but yeah, I can, I can see where you're coming from with their chemistry, but I definitely, cause cause even when they have their last kiss, him as Batman and chase, you know, waiting, waiting naked in, in her bed because she scheduled the, the midnight rendezvous. Uh, fall, fall i'm asleep feeling
0: beforehand <laughs>
1: right she's scheduling it for for midnight and she falls asleep i'm like oh, of course why not typical
0: typical <laughs> um... you,
1: you've already been married for 10 years why it
0: <laughs> yeah no it's, it's 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 interesting that because like you say i would probably agree with that and particularly in those opening exchanges in like the first half hour of the movie where batman and um like Chase have like a totally different relationship and they're doing the, the zingy line thing before everything becomes broody. Um, like I think that works kind of well enough. Um, but but yeah, with what's supposed to be the heart of the movie, like the, the, the Bruce Chase relationship, yeah, the chemistry it just it's flat. It's very, very flat. It doesn't it doesn't feel like these people like connecting these kind of troubled people that like she's kind of this person who's attracted to dangerous dark men and, and like she wants something different even though she's actually getting a dangerous dark man. um, You know like, uh, and then he's struggling and he wants to find, they're both people like trying to find like real love and they've just always had these kind of fiery, passionate affairs or whatever. And, like, that's fine. And I, I get that. And, like, um, that's kind of a good central core idea of having that as the kind of heart of your story. But it just, when you actually see it on the screen, it just comes off as kind of
1: dull. And I think it's because they're, it feels like they're both brooding. Mm. You know, Obviously, Bruce is brooding because he's having the, the flashbacks of his parents' death and their red journal on his dad's desk. But it also feels like Chase is brooding for some reason. And, of course, we never find out cuz we don't dive into her character at all. She is uh, an but...
0: incredibly thinly sketched character that we don't oh, yes. really seem to care about actually.
1: <laughs> but it does feel like they're both both brooding in in some way. So it kind of just those scenes where they're together on Halloween night when uh, Bruce is going to tell her who he who he really is and that he is Batman. They're, yeah, they're just kind of sitting there talking very softly and talking very seriously. with with truths and secrets that they need to tell uh yeah kind of just feels off but him as batman with chase uh, there's it's the uh, it's the anatomically correct suit is why it's happening she sees the the nipples on him and she's like yep i'm i'm in give that (laughs) to me that's
0: my man (laughs) (laughs) yep But anyway, this love-in is obviously interrupted by action. We gotta have more action in this movie. Um, Yeah. So, the Riddler and Two-Face pretend to be children trick-or-treating, which manages to fool Alfred, which Alfred has generally shown more intelligence in the movies, all three movies, (laughs) up to this point, than this scene. So, like, I always feel disappointed by Alfred in this scene. I'm like, really? Really? You really bought them with, like, their little masks? Like, uh, you know, like, you know, standing on their knees. That's, nah, come on, come on, come on, Alfred. You're better than this.
1: Uh, well, I, I also I also feel bad. I remember watching it in the theaters and going, oh my God, did they just kill Alfred? Because he's oh, an yeah. old, fragile man and they clock him like on the shoulder and the neck. I'm like, oh my God, is he okay? Did he break a hip? falling over oh god but it is it is also a fair okay. they, they go, he's they go he's over to uh, listening at
0: home he's okay yes he is fine <laughs> but they
1: go over to wayne manor because the little liquid usb port from the party they find out that bruce wayne is actually batman uh, even though the only proof that they have is a giant flying bat on a screen and they connect the dots like oh hey he's a rich guy thinking about bats so he must be batman which makes sense. And the yeah, but they show up and they start shooting up the place. And the Riddler, I mean Jim Carrey, he does his Jim Carrey thing. And one of my favorite scenes, or at least the ones that are very memorable for me, is him destroying the Batcave with the with the pitching of the bat bombs <laughs> and talking about the nature documentary and throwing the whole bag of bombs in the Batmobile. Uh, I love this scene. I don't know. It's, just, it's you know what Jim. You do, you do, you, and just go, and we'll film it.
0: <laughs> I also love this sequence, and again, it's also one of the sequences that always uh, stood out in my head. And much like I loved the. Uh comedy electrocution sound effects we got at the start of the movie I love the squeaky toy sound effects um we get um as he's throwing the bombs about um in this we, sequence we get the as well. we get
1: the the baseball theme we get the duh, 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 <laughs> like yes yes he even has I think he has an ace Ventura line in here when he opens the door behind the cabinet and he's like spank me <laughs> <laughs>
0: That you're is true. You're right true. there. Dimfru um uh, yeah, and when he uh, when he thrusts and says Joygasm <laughs> <laughs> genuinely delightful. <laughs>
1: which i didn't know what that was as a kid no
0: no when i first (laughs) saw it no no i was i was like
1: (laughs) hey dad what does he mean by that but uh and uh, bruce wayne he gets shot by two-face at first i I think in the last uh, first recording you thought he got shot in the head was that correct
0: i can't remember like watching it again um yeah, yeah, like he has like a cut in the head, but like um, watching it again, it looks like he might have got shot in the shoulder, and then but then it looks like it's a head.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I always thought. He got shot like in the in the shoulder or the arm or something, and then he fell down, and then that that cut from his head came from his fall oh, down the yeah. many many stairs of Wayne Manor.
0: The grand staircase, he's got. yeah,
1: yeah. And the and the movie could have easily ended there because Two Face holds the gun to his head to finish it and Ningma says no if you kill him you won't learn nothing which to this day i don't know what that means <laughs> but villains... sure the
0: movie knows what that means it's, yes, just a- exactly. a game. <laughs> exactly. it's one of those classic kind of like um <laughs> you know like you get these more this again we're going to mention bond again you get these moments in bond all the time where the villain has the perfect opportunity just to like kill bond stone dead but then oh yes is like no i will first of all tell you my elaborate plan and then i will leave you alone with one guard To also die in an equally elaborate way from an elaborate trap that I created myself. And I'm sure when I walk away from this trap, having told you the entirety (laughs) of my elaborate plan, then nothing will go wrong from this point forth. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. And hell, even even to stay on the Batman-Schumacher train here, if we go to Batman and Robin that I just watched a couple of weeks ago for my channel, if you watch the opening scene and the rocket that shoots up, if you remember, uh, Freeze apprehends Batman and freezes his arms to the side of the rocket, only to tell Batman that, hey, at 30,000 feet, your heart's going to freeze and you will be no more. And I'm watching it, thinking, "Why don't you just freeze him? And then he'll he'll be no more, right there. You don't have to shoot him up into a rocket. You have him. He's not moving." <laughs> oh, villains in '90s aren't they? They're great? They're just villains in the '90s.
0: Oh man, I love a I love a good monologue. I, I love I love a great villain monologue. Um, yeah, and. Um, you know we've got two villains here, and, and both do uh, fun monologues. Uh, do we? Faces. Do we
1: have two villains here? Because I feel like Tommy Lee Jones Two Face is forgotten once Riddler is introduced. It's like, nah, eh, you're there. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, I I think we do have two villains. Um, we just have we don't have two villains concurrent. Is right. What we, is what we have because <laughs> basically, um, like I think the bazooka, like when he the car chase thing. Where he fires the bazooka at him, I think that happens around the fifty-minute mark. So for for basically the first half of the movie, Two Face is the villain of the film, mm, like yeah. the the villain that's making an impression. Like you know, we're getting the Riddler origin story, and he's kind of creating his villain identity, but he's not the main. You know, he's not a villain that we're kind of um, concerned about. He's just like an obsessive stalker for the first half of the movie. Like he's not like the villain. villain. Whereas, you know, like, yes, basically um, Two-Face gets relegated to being, like, essentially the Riddler's cohort. Um, but, you know, Two-Face is the villain of the first half of the movie, and the Riddler is the main villain of the second half of the movie.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just there for, for Robin to, to kind of beat up at the end a little bit. Not to not to end Two Face, but to beat him up for a little bit.
0: Yeah. But
1: uh, yeah, so he he comes to, and Alfred's okay, and they've been getting all these riddles throughout the throughout the film, and kind of puts them all together and figures out that oh, all these riddles have numbers, and if you use the numbers on the alphabet, it'll give you the Acronym of Mister E Nigma. Yeah,
0: the way they get around this is ridiculous. So it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, what? These numbers we were related to the numbers in the alphabet, and then these are and like going the numbers of the alphabet don't work but like what if we can join some of the numbers from some of the clues and then 18 and this and then that and it's like what the logical (laughs) leaps you are taking as in whatever man yeah all right mystery like get on with it
1: (laughs) enigma hello if if you remember the 1966 batman the movie film i do when they were figuring out okay who are all the villains that we're going up against and it's the same logic pulling in in this scene too where, whereas in that movie it was like it's actually pretty fishy what happened to me out there on the ocean fishy <laughs> like a penguin and then robin's like well it happened at sea sea for catwoman <laughs> oh god that just leaves us with a sinister riddle <gasps> riddle er it's the same thing and i love it
0: <laughs>
1: i genuinely genuinely
0: um like uh you know there's i i love i love a good comedy um you know and, um, <laughs> like uh the the scene in batman the movie this 1966 one uh where you know like he's running around with that bomb and he says, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> 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 like when he, he keeps running into things like a nun or like you know, yep. somebody with a pra, you know, with a pram, like a like a, a lady with a with a pram with a baby and stuff like that. It's genuinely one of the things I think is is funniest in all of cinema. Is is one of my favourite scenes of all time. It, it like it makes me laugh uproariously every time I watch it. It never gets old.
1: It's that it's that Chaplin Abbott and Costello just comedy timing right there. And it, oh. it continues on to the nineties and I love yeah. it.
0: Adam West's comedy timing in that scene is majestic. It's 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 really amazing. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah.
1: Now now before we get to the, the
0: the big finale.
1: The ending battle, there is a there is a huge deleted scene from the Schumacher cut, probably what the Schumacher Uh, pictures and tweets and everything online covers the most is this deleted scene with this big giant mechanical bat and throughout this movie ever since the death of the Graysons we have seen Bruce kind of do flashbacks of this red journal on his father's desks of the day of their of, of their funeral and he took the book and he ran through the rain and the storm and fell into this big giant cave that would later on become the Batcave. Well, after they discover that, oh, it's, it's Mr. E. Nigma Edward Nigma, they go down to the Batcave, and before he puts on the sonar suit, Alfred says, well, there's something through that corridor that you need to confront. You need to confront who you are and what your destiny is. So Bruce Wayne goes through and he he was looking around and he sees the red book that he had lost and forgot about down there. And he reads the last entry of his father's journal and the entry reads that Bruce is begging him to go see the next Zora movie or, or whatever, going to go see the movies tonight with my son, Bruce. So it's him realizing that, oh, I'm the reason that my parents are dead basically because I told them to go out that night. And it's him realizing that he is the reason why he is who he is and his destiny is his own. It's not anyone else's. And from out of nowhere, this big giant mechanical bat, which if you watch the deleted scenes, I'm gonna be honest, looks pretty terrible, but I'm sure would have maybe have been fixed with uh, post-visual effects, post-production. But then after that, he emerges from the cave, meets up with Alfred and says, Alfred, I'm Batman. And that's when he puts on the sonar suit, Uh, a scene that I'm I would be really interested in seeing done with the Goldsmith uh, music underneath it and just to see play out beautifully. But if you watch it just as the deleted scenes on YouTube or wherever you watch it, it, it doesn't pack the same punch, but I wish we would see it play out throughout the film but it's really like the biggest schumacher cut thing that was cut from this movie
0: well yeah it would definitely be interesting to see you know philly restored 4k or whatever you know yeah 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 that'd be uh cool but unfortunately we don't we don't have that
1: we don't have that we don't have that yet but if people push like they did for the snyder cut maybe eventually we will see a a fully restored schumacher cut here in the next couple of years so who knows
0: yeah you know you never you never know what can happen
1: and um, and yeah. companies love making money so if they can make money from it why not
0: that's very true um so yeah it could happen it could happen yeah um
1: but then we but then we get robin showing up which again is always something that i love seeing we get the actual Robin rubber suit with the gauntlets on his on his arms and them hanging out and figuring out okay who's gonna go by air and who's gonna go by sea and take out Edward Nigma and Two Face playing Battleship.
0: Yeah. And before we get um Redler and Two Face uh, playing Battleship and uh trying to blow up Robin's uh Batboat, uh we get um Batman flying across the gotham night sky and um and then giving the iconic thumbs up which is the most gift moment from any batman movie ever made i think
1: <laughs> hey go go i i realized it in my watch along of batman and robin uh, that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks on my channel so if people want to check that out uh, but i realized just this year of how shitty this Commissioner Gordon is. He really sucks. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. He stands there and is like, yes, you go do the thing. I'll be here.
0: <laughs> to, to, to the extent, like, because I would watched, like, the... Um, you know, I'd watched, like, the show from the 60s, and, um, you know, like, I'd watched these movies, and mm-hmm. then, like, um, I almost found Gary... Uh, oldman's commissioner gordon like jarring because i was like he was almost too proactive i was just like oh yeah sure. but the police don't do anything in gotham do they <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: oh. i think that's what made like the dark knight trilogy so awesome is like oh hey the cops are actually trying to do things oh interesting
0: they actually do try to solve crime in these movies that's weird
1: (laughs) there's a a moment in batman and robin when batman says hey you have 11 minutes to thaw these people and then they run after mr freeze and commissioner gordon is standing there talking with poison ivy like hey you just met one of the most sinister men in gotham and then slowly walks away (laughs) like dude you suck Uh, no wonder why batman and robin exist yeah
0: i I was wondering like maybe it's just like a difference in like the the times or you know I suppose like with comic book movies now I'm particularly primed with like the MCU and stuff like that where it's like everything like the the final act of the movie the final part of the movie takes like like at least half an hour or whatever you know Mm -hmm. and um, so like yeah it's it's weird in this movie it kind of the final confrontation Um, from the moment they go after and have, like, the the battle on sea and air, um, and then they, you know, we get to the the final, final confrontation where, like, Robin and Chase have been captured and, like, you know, Batman has to get them and and all that kind of stuff. It all seems to happen very quickly. You know, like, it almost kind of of rushed, you know? And, And I wasn't sure if that's just, like because I've been primed by the comic book movies and I was you know, working by today's standard, or if it just generally is kind of like a kind of rushed finale.
1: I think there may have been, or at least it feels like there may have been a mandate by Warner Brothers to be like, oh, if we're doing an action movie, it needs to be two hours long. Mm -hmm. It needs to be either under two hours or just over it. We cannot go over because we need to have a lot of repeat. Yeah. uh ability in movie theaters and if it's over two hours we're not going to make our money back
0: yeah and this so this, i think this movie is like for people who maybe don't you know like don't remember this movie is two hours one minute with credits without yeah. credits is about an hour and 57
1: yeah so i think with that mandate and it gets into post-production and in the editing room we're, we're just like okay well we have the story and now we're in our final battle let's just kind of hit all the big points and that's it because yeah this final battle what it's 10 minutes i wanted to say about yeah, roughly
0: yeah it, it yeah. goes by it goes by very quickly because like i'm always surprised by how little is left in the movie when when we get to this point where you think um like as they set off by sea and by air um we're gonna have at least an hour i don't know 25 minutes some, oh. something like that you know for for this kind of Big final confrontation. But yeah, it's like 10-15 minutes. It's yeah, like, it oh,
1: okay. It all go by it all goes by quick. Robin finally confronts Two Face after killing his family, and that lasts like a minute, and he's apprehended very quickly and very easily, which always drove me crazy as a kid because Robin is awesome and you're making him look like an idiot. And then we have the we have the choice. We have the famous choice beat in superhero films where the villain makes the uh, the the main character or protagonist choose between one life and the other. Again, kind of building on the duality of who Batman is. Do you save the love of Bruce's life or Batman's brand new junior partner? I always like this sequence when Bruce jumps down to save both of them. Um, the, the visual effects here, though, when, when he throws the batarang and all the brain waves are leaving jim carrey's head and his and the thing is like moving from side to side as if it's like flubber or whatever <laughs> it looks <laughs> terrible but uh, but i do love the the diving scene where he goes after both robin and chase and like mm. yep that's what batman would do he would save both he wouldn't save just one absolutely
0: i think my favorite beat in this uh this sequence and the thing I always loved most about it was actually, because I, I just thought it was cool, I think it's a great fist-pump moment, is when Jim Carrey mocks the simplicity of Batman's riddle, where he's he's kind of like, you know, because he's 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 thinking that he's, like, way more intelligent than Batman. He's been having all, you know, sucking all these brainwaves and, you know, like, draining people's IQs and stuff like that and, and gaining to his own IQ. So he thinks he's... This, he's become my god, you know, like, and uh, Batman gives him this riddle where the obvious answer is a bat, and he just kind of, he, he sits back in his seat and he laughs, and he's like, ha, ha 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 of course, it's a bat, you idiot, it's simple, you know, like, it's so easy, you know, why don't you make it harder, kind of thing, and then, Batman just goes, exactly, and turns on the sonar, and, like, makes everything dark, and, it, like, the Riddler, that moment when the Riddler knows that he's fucked, is beautiful <laughs>
1: it's really good and again again two-face is kind of just standing in the back yeah as he's, as he's like just the main henchman at this point yeah yeah it's all it's all enigma here who has the ace ventura hair too <laughs> the costume
0: <laughs> yep very popular hairstyle in 1995 um
1: sure <laughs> well I popular for popular Jim, Jim Carrey because he uses it, guy, in, yes. it,
0: it like uh, in Ace Ventura when nature calls on this
1: movie. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and then after after Chase and Robin are saved Two-Face confronts them and Batman tricks him with a whole bunch of coins when Two-Face flips it which I think is a brilliant move that's uh i think it's actually we see that in uh the animated series in one of those episodes mm-hmm. and i mean if we look at it batman basically kills two-face
0: <laughs> yeah i i don't i don't entirely believe that like i like, even as a kid because like basically i i am um, even as a kid didn't believe that like two-face died here i always assumed that like two-face probably pop up in some other film oh. Basically, I I think, like, I I was burnt very early on in childhood with comic books in terms of, like, Mm. Superman died when I was about seven. And, like, I remember it, like, making news. I remember it being, like the death of Superman in the comics. Oh my God. Superman is dead. He came back like six months later with a mullet. And I was like, and, and then from that moment on, I just didn't believe anybody died in comic books. Like that, that is what burnt me. That was like, cause I was genuinely distraught by like, what? They've killed off Superman. Like, you know, like, cause I was, I don't know, like, I think it was 93. So I was like, you know, it's seven 90, at a time or whatever. You think. know, like um, so I was like, yeah Um so like and, and from that moment on, I was like, people don't die in comic books. So that that's what made me cynical. And so I was like, nah, that's fine. he's probably come back. <laughs> okay, cool. I, I think
1: after after watching uh Batman eighty-nine and the I always thought that the Joker was was dead, so I was used to uh these characters dying and hell, even with Batman Returns, we see uh, christopher walken and danny devito's penguin flat out die in the movie <laughs> so i was used to it
0: yeah uh, i suppose like, i just um, i i always I just, assume that major characters can come back i'd be like you know uh, like I, I believe in the deaths of like you know like um you know christopher walken's character or whatever but i'm was like yeah, penguin could come back probably you know
1: <laughs> i just always i always felt bad for you know i'm a big I I know you're not a fan, but I'm a big fan of the Batman v Superman and the Mm -hmm. Justice League, the Ben Affleck version of Batman. But I always felt bad about everyone saying like, oh, he's killing people. And I'm like, guys, Batman has been killing people in movies going back to Michael Keaton. I mean, it's nothing new. And here in Batman Forever, I always took it as, yeah, he kind of just killed Two-Face here. (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) come on. It's not nothing new. (laughs) See here
0: yeah like i suppose i suppose uh, yeah
1: i mean even in in the dark knight trilogy he uh mm-hmm. he killed every major villain in each movie
0: that's true that's true yeah i i, I suppose like um yeah i i think um i think there's just that like a difference like there. You can portray a hero killing people in a kind of heroic way that is like defending people or like yeah. um either by accident or like defending people. And then like I suppose the diff I suppose people were found it problematic or I found it problematic or maybe other people found it problematic in that way of like there's a difference of like portraying uh a, a hero character, which broadly um uh, Batman is supposed to be even though he's a kind of anti-hero you know he's always treading that line so you have sure. like what is an anti-hero and what is a psychotic vigilante and like you know you have like these anti-hero characters and, you, and you're like ah, oh, okay you know you, you might be like oh their but their actions come from a kind of noble place and then but I think like Batfleck stepped into too close to that kind of like Oh he's just like fucking cobra now. You know like he's just like a like a vid- psycholo- psychotic vigilante. And like yeah like pushing too much into that territory just kind of yeah. I don't know doesn't work for me. Um uh, but but that's a conversation for another time
1: I think. Sure. <laughs> when when you do the 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 2010s podcast action <laughs> podcast we'll talk about it then. Uh, oh, I get where oh, you're, yeah. I get where you're coming from though so I'm not going to default yeah i i i totally i see it a different way but i that movie is so divisive that we can just we'll we'll table that for another time
0: (laughs) and we can
1: and we can move on to the ending of batman forever when uh chase goes to arkham asylum where nigma is there in his own little cell which oh i forgot to mention that in the schumacher cut the movie his movie, his cut actually began at Arkham Asylum with the escaping of Two-Face and on the wall it read "Bat, uh, the Batman must die and that's when we cut to uh, Wayne Tower with Bruce Wayne and Edward Nygma. Um, here she's asking him, so hey, do you know who's Batman and Jim Carrey in the Jim carrey way in his little jailhouse getup says, I'm Batman and Chase looks at Bruce and says, well, you're Secret safe with me. Don't work too late.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after.
1: Even now
0: she was never seen again. Um. <laughs> now, now,
1: the, now this cut ends with Batman and Robin running in front of the Bat Signal, which I always I loved growing up because it's silhouette. Again, you give me silhouettes and I'm instantly in love. But the Schulmacher ending that was originally scheduled or that was originally shot was Alfred driving Chase home and Chase asking Alfred, so Alfred, does this ever end? And Alfred says, no, madam, not in this lifetime. And then the mm-hmm. camera slowly pans up as if it was the end of Batman 89 through all the scaffolding of Gotham to where we see Batman and Robin standing on a gargoyle overlooking the city. And I always pictured that Danny Elfman's score at the end of Batman 89 playing during that. Mm-hmm. And that's how the Schumacher cut was supposed to end. I like them both, but I I would really love to have seen the gargoyle Schumacher cutscene.
0: And maybe one day we will. The last thing I'm going to mention, the last thing I'm going to mention before we uh, go on to the kind of social media promotion uh, segment of the podcast um, as we round up uh, is like there's a nice little in joke here uh, at the end that obviously I didn't pick up on as a kid, but obviously as an adult picked up on where um the psychiatrist is a character called Dr Burton which is obviously styled after Tim Burton as the actor mm. playing uh Dr Burton Red Rennie law who is probably most famous uh, to Star Trek fans as as Odo from Star Trek D- DS9 yeah. um and um he is he's got basically Tim Burton's exact haircut um or here stylings, uh, you, you might yeah. want to call them. Um, <laughs> um, and yes, so that's like a like a little fun in joke to kind of write um, at, at the end of the movie, right there. Oh, I thought I'd flag up,
1: <laughs> Mr. Burton, who you know you didn't want to do a third Batman movie.
0: No, but he did produce. You didn't it, want so to do it. He didn't want to direct it, but he did produce it. So he's still getting a cut of that but, money, well, money, money, money. <laughs>
1: He had that meeting with the executives, and I think he had the intentions of doing it, but then the executive was like, "You don't want to do this. No, you want to do something. Else. You yeah, just we'll go just do it. A, yeah, yeah.
0: We'll just give you a producer." <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But that's we, Batman Forever. <laughs> Batman.
0: <laughs> oh, and anyway, my favorite. That's that's the end of that's the end of this episode. Um, Caleb, do you want to promote your channel before we we say goodbye to
1: the audience? Absolutely. If you liked my insight and my telling of the Schulmacher-isms that were supposed to have been in this movie, go over to my YouTube channel called Caleb Watches Movies. Uh, Try to make it as simplest as possible. Uh, Give me a like and subscribe on my channel, please. And also keep a lookout for my watch along of Batman and Robin that is coming out on December 23rd, just before Christmas thought for my 500 episode why not let's continue the schumacher universe and let's go back and watch a movie i had not seen since the good batman movies batman begins came out so it was a fun time revisiting the Schwarzeneggerisms and the cluniness of batman for batman and robin so head on over and please subscribe
0: jesus christ between that <laughs> and jingle all the way that is one of schwarzenegger's worst years um, like, <laughs> 97 yeah, time. year to remember for schwarzenegger um, <laughs> uh, so if you like if you like what you heard here you can listen to loads more of it um all 90s action all the time we're on anchor we're on spotify where we're We're on Apple Podcasts, Um, you know, we're on a bunch of other platforms, and um, if you really like us, uh, you can give us, uh, you know, you can give us a review, and, uh, you know, you can rate us, and if you do rate us, can you please rate us five stars, because otherwise the algorithm thinks we're shit, so, like, that's the way the world works, apparently. Um, And if you want to hit us up with some comments, you also can. uh, You can just head on over to Twitter, type in at 90saction and you will see us and you can comment, uh, give us any comments. You can also uh, send comments my way if you want, uh, at scottmurphy85 on Twitter. And um, yeah. That's all for this time. I hope you enjoyed this recut, uh, re-recorded, uh, take two episode of Batman Forever. And take one, unfortunately, you will never hear. Um, but uh, that's all for this time. Please do join us again next week when we will be talking about the ghost and the darkness. Until then, though, see ya.